0: We're going to do something this morning we haven't done for almost three years. We're going to start a new series. This new series is in what we commonly call the letter to the Hebrews. So, whenever you start a new series, especially when it comes to a new letter or book, uh, you have to do some introductory types of things. So, here's the introductory types of things who wrote it? No one's sure. There are those who, who assert and believe that Paul wrote it. Others believe that Paul wrote it, but Luke translated it into Greek, which gives the reason why they say it's a little different than Paul's other writings. Others say that it was Apollos. Some others still say it was Barnabas. i in agreement with many of the early church fathers. We don't know. So when I talk about the author of this, I will say the author. I won't say Paul because I don't know. Um, so we don't know the author. Well, who was it sent to? We're not sure. Like a lot of the letters to, uh, from Paul, it's to the church at Corinth or the church at Rome or Ephesus or whatever. This doesn't have a geographical destination. So why it's called the letter to the Hebrews is because of the content that it is quotes what we would call the Old Testament, which they would call the scriptures. They quoted the scriptures and since he quotes the scriptures a lot, the assumption is that it must have been intended for Jewish Christians and those who were considering to being Christians and those who uh, were making it difficult for Christians. the Jewish Christians. It's called the letter to the Hebrews. It doesn't look like a typical letter and you don't get the clue that it's a letter until the last few verses of the letter. And then it becomes clear that it's a letter. Otherwise, the contents of it is much more exhortation and warning, encouraging and getting you to to move towards faith and also warning you that if you don't. When was it written? We're not sure. It's certainly probable that it was written before 70 AD because so much of the content talks about the Levitical priesthood and other things related to sacrifice. And if the temple had been destroyed, you would think that it would at least get casual Uh, mention it minimum also the early church fathers uh, used this book uh, quoted from it so it's clear that they believed it was scriptures and for instance uh, one of the early uh, fathers uh, Clement quoted from it and so it has an early origin so all that is to say we don't know a lot other than from reading it and seeing the context and the information that we can tell that it's the word of God and others who were closer to the situation than us adopted it as part of the word of God. And so as a result, if we would say, well, who wrote the book? I don't know. Who was it to us? Because God's word was sent to us that we might have faith and be increased in faith and secure in that faith and be warned if you get off track. So if you will, while this may be the letter to the Hebrews, it's also the letter to FBC West and also the letter to all other believers. Um, So that's to who it's from. So let's get into the meat of it and i'm going to surprise you i'm going to stop with the first word god how awesome to start what we call a book call a letter whatever writing with god god this is going to sound almost blasphemous i wish genesis had started that way god in the beginning. Not in the beginning, God, but God in the beginning. Because without God, it doesn't matter what the beginning is. It doesn't matter what the middle is. It doesn't what matter what the end is. Without God, it just doesn't matter. With God, nothing. Without God, nothing. With God, everything. So the writer here starts in a way that should get our attention. It's not, blessed be you, and, and all these, it's God. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions, in many ways. So he's saying, God spoke. Now, there are two ways you know about God. One we call general revelation, that's what the um, theologians and others will talk about general revelation. Well, general revelation is that you can tell that there is a God based on certain things. The heavens declare the glory of God. They speak that there is a God. The oceans tell of his glory. The geography tells of that there's a God. Biology tells us that there's a God. Physics tells us there's a God. All the sciences tell us that there is a God. All of these things point to the existence and the fact that there is a God, that there is a creator. Now, man can close his eyes and assume other things, but the general revelation is that there is a God. The problem is, is that in general revelation, we don't know who God is, other than we can tell he's powerful and that he exceeds time and all these other things so that he's omniscient and omnipotent and all these types of things because we can see the universe and its vastness and the power that we can understand that that type of God who created things must be that kind of God but we don't know whether he's loving or hateful or unmerciful or merciful we don't know And so what requires is specific revelation, and that specific revelation comes from God. God then tells us who he is. So you have a lot of ancient beliefs about many gods, and they had their thoughts about how gods were, um, and that they were pretty arrogant and didn't really care about mankind, and sometimes they just did things to mess things up. The scriptures tell us who God is and the scriptures tell us who God is because God is the one who speaks. So he says, it is God who spoke long ago. So it's not somebody else speaking for God. God spoke. So it is God who's revealing himself to us who he is. And he did so long ago to the fathers in the prophets. So he said many years ago, because between what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament was about 400 years when God stopped talking. So it says, long ago, God used to talk to the prophets. And he did so in many ways in different variations. So for instance, he would come to Elijah in a still, small voice. He spoke to Moses in a burning bush that wasn't consumed. He came to Abram and others as an angel, as a man. He would come in different ways. Sometimes he would come in visions, and sometimes he would come in dreams, and he would come in various ways to impart who he was and what his plans were. So that's when it says he came to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. When God revealed himself, it was in a Planned, measured manner. He didn't reveal all of who he was. He revealed it in portions and portions and portions. And so that's why you will see, for instance, in Genesis, that you will see that God is provider and God is existent one and all of these types of things, revealing all the attributes of who God is. He was doing so in portions. No one got all the message. Each would add to it. And if you look at the promise of the Messiah, one prophet would say he would be coming on a donkey's colt. Another prophet said he would come at this time. A different prophet would say different things. David would talk about how the Messiah would be treated. Isaiah would do the same thing. Each one would give a little account of God's word and who God is but not the entire picture. So God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways. So it was always through man's activity. God would reveal himself through a prophet to us. In these last days, let me back up. And so he would reveal himself to the prophets. If you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 through 11 it says this As to this salvation the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow It was revealed To them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. He's saying, We think, wouldn't it be awesome if we were a prophet? Wouldn't it be awesome if God revealed something to us? And there's still a large group of people today who keep looking for a new word. They want God to give them a new word. And I keep saying, I'm having trouble doing the words he already told me to. When I get that down, I'll worry about a new word. But until then, when I can love you like Jesus loved you, when I can forgive you like Jesus forgave you, when I can do the things Jesus did and said, I'll look for a new word. So there are those who say, wouldn't it be awesome that God spoke to us? But notice the intentions. It's it's about them. Peter's saying the prophets, when they were revealed the word of God, didn't say aha. They continued to search the word of God. They continued to understand who he was talking about and what he was talking about. And so they made careful inquiry, continuing to do that, not for their benefit but for ours. And that's the problem with many people in the church today. It's always about us, us and the singular, not us in the plural. So the prophets would be, get the word to God, but they would get it so that they would study it and they would understand it and help us out. But sometimes we are more blessed than we really realize. And then if you'll turn to Amos chapter three, verse seven. And I'm also going to include eight. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? God's saying. I reveal myself and I reveal my plans through the prophets. I speak to them. And the prophets are saying, just as a lion roars and you're afraid when God speaks, how can you not also speak what God has said? You are compelled to speak what God has spoken. So here again, God reveals to us that he reveals his plans. What the People in the Old Testament would call mysteries. We now call clear understanding of exactly who the Christ is and was, and what He's going to do and what He's has done. So God reveals His plan; He doesn't hide it. And then, if you'll turn to Jeremiah chapter 23, starting with verse 22. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words through my people and would have turned them back from their evil ways and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off. God is saying here that if you'd have been in heaven before I said let there be light and you saw what my counsel was and you saw the purposes of what I'm doing you'd preach and you'd preach hellfire and damnation you would preach mercy you would preach grace you would preach all of those things because you want people to be turned from their ways to God the more we know about who God is, the more we want people to be with him, not away from him. So he's saying, if you just been there, you'd have a whole different outlook on this life. Let's go back to Hebrews. So God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many, many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son. Not saying. I used to speak through prophets. I spoke in still small voice. I spoke in a burning bush that wasn't consumed. I sent angels. I did various things. I sent visions and dreams. Now I'm sending you my son. I'm speaking through my son. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. So the scripture says, not only did Jesus become God's speech, He is the heir. He's the one who's going to inherit it all. And he's the one who created it all. So the one who is coming to us to announce who God is and what God's plans are and what God's purposes are is the one who was the creator himself. Now I'm going to, in the week to come, to talk more about the heir appointed, but I want to Look at Jesus as that speech. Probably the verses that you're thinking of is in John chapter 1. So I want you to turn there. In the beginning was the word, the logos. The word which God is going to be speaking. And the word was with God and the word was God. God has now sent forth his son to tell us who he is. But he's sending not a representative. He's sending himself to proclaim who he is. That he is the creator. That he was there before the creation. And that he was with God and he is God and was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. We see here, there are no exceptions. Even the mosquitoes came into existence because of him. Now, maybe if I'm still interested, when I get to heaven, I might ask him why he made mosquitoes. But I'm sure he had a reason. But even them were made by him. And guess what? You too. Nothing has come into being. Nothing has come into being. Guess what? You came into being. You weren't, and now you are, and someday you won't be. Unless you're His, and then you'll always be. And Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And if you'll jump over to verse 14, and the Word became flesh. God is not just satisfied with sending a word and some ethereal thought, some ghost, some spirit. He put himself into flesh and blood to give us this word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't dwell apart from us. He didn't come um, as the... Savior, who, like in the all the westerns, the 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 hero will come from the, the east or whatever, save the town, and then ride off into the distance, and we'll say, Who was that masked man? Jesus dwelt among us that we might see who God is. God spoke that we might see who he is. So he dwelt among us some 33 plus years to see who God is in the flesh, how he went about his father's business while still honoring his mother and father, how he loved us and forgave us and yet had power and wisdom so god spoke and he spoke to us in his son the last verse i want you to take a look at is found in first peter chapter 1 starting with verse 24 for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass the grass wither and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. From the first prophet in Genesis, which was, if you will, Adam and Eve, she was looking for a savior. She thought Seth might be that one and they gave the sacrifices, and then we see all of it, and we see Moses, and we see Elijah, and we see Elisha, and we see Amos, and we see Haggai, and we see Habakkuk, and we see all of these, and Daniel, and all these other prophets revealing the word of God. And we call it, unfortunately, the Old Testament, what we ought to call it, the scriptures. The Old Testament will never fade away. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, not one jot or tittle will perish until the word of God has been fulfilled. And Jesus also said, even heaven and earth will pass away before his words pass away, because he is speaking the word of God, because he is the word of God. He is the locus, the logos, the word of God. And if What Moses had to say, will not pass away. What do you think the words of Jesus will endure? And yet we read the scriptures with such casualness. We'll study for an exam. And we'll study hard. And we might even be successful and get 100 or 97 or whatever. And we feel good about it. And then within a week or three or six, we forget the material. The scriptures are the word of God. If we would spend such time on an exam that is here today and like the flowers perish, then maybe we ought to study, study the word of God because it endures forever. And because the word of God is the word of God and because it endures forever, maybe we shouldn't be ashamed of it. Well, Pastor, the science says that evolution. And you have to be stupid if you believe not in evolution. I don't say this to those because I don't, you know. But the word of God says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So why am I going to argue with you? Now that's cruel and harsh, and I'll try to be much kinder to a person in my presence. But but again, there's this sense of. Oh, well, if science says this, then we have to retreat from the Word of God. Well, science said the world was flat for a while. The Word of God never did. The Word of God said the earth was an orb. So don't tell me that the Word of God contradicts science. Science will eventually get up to the Word of God. We just need to stop being embarrassed by it. And this is the Word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and evil and envy and slander. Man, he's making it hard. We, we got to put away the old stuff. My, my immediate reaction to your hurting me is not to hurt you back. It's to see you're good. Not to pretend and not to, not to be a hypocrite. And again, a hypocrite is a play actor. That thing that's sitting on our communion table is pretending to be a candle. I hate to break it to you, but it ain't. It has some batteries and you flick the switch and little light bulbs come on. It's a hypocrite. It's pretending to be something it's not. Now we use it because that way we don't have to replace it a lot. And I don't have to worry about the building burning down. So I guess sometimes hypocrites have their place. So we're supposed to put all these things. And like newborn babies. Innocent little newborn babies. Long For the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, you see the study of God's Word causes us to grow, causes us to grow in faith, causes us to grow in strength, causes us to grow in wisdom, causes us to grow to maturity. And just as a baby earnestly desires its mother's milk, Peter's saying, earnestly desire the word of God. Now, if a baby gets hungry, guess what? It doesn't care who he disturbs or who she disturbs. She's going to cry. He's going to cry. I'm hungry. And I don't care if you're tired, mom. I'm hungry, and I desire that milk because that milk internally tells me I'm hungry, but that milk feeds me and nurses me so that I might grow from being a baby to a a toddler, to an adolescent, to a teenager. God save us all. And to adulthood. Because they started out with the pure word. And so we too... Should not be so embarrassed about, well, I don't want to cause problems. No, I'm hungry. Give me the word. Satisfy me that I might grow, that I might become stronger, that I might not be a baby anymore, but an adult. Now, the problem is all too many churches, people want to be babies because they want their way. They don't want the word of the Lord to cause them to grow. They just want to be infantile. But notice it says tasted. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now I know some people have no clue when they read the scriptures. That's why it's kind of necessary for the Holy Spirit to help you out. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, I've, I've read the Bible once. It has all kinds of inconsistencies. Then you didn't read it very well. Secondly, they always say, so, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. And wrong. Because the God of the New Testament was the God of the Old Testament. Because he was the word of God who was with God and created everything. And if you look at the Old Testament... You will see the mercy of God. You will see the forgiveness of God. You will see even when Moses agreed, wipe them out, God, and start over. God doesn't because he's merciful and he's loving. Even to those that he's angry with, the Amorites and all those who were the occupants and quote-unquote owners of the promised land, God didn't say, we're going to evict them right now. He says, their time has not yet come. Their iniquity has not yet fully ripened. God does what is right and just and what is merciful. God is always looking for those to seek forgiveness and repentance. There are those who we'll talk about at the end of our scriptures Revelation, we'll talk about how the book of Revelation is about a book of judgment. And I disagree. It is about a book that God is saying, repent. And instead of repenting, man says, let the rocks fall on us and hide from us. They don't don't even bother with there is no God. They just say, we don't want to around him. God is a God of mercy. And God has spoken to us in these last days he told us exactly who he is. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God would do? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God would say? Hear Jesus. In these last days, he has spoken. Maybe we got to pay more attention. If the Word of God was unalterable through prophets, how much more so is it unalterable because of His Son? If it was clear through the prophets, how much more so is it clear? Through his son. Word of God, speak. Word of God, fall down like rain. Word of God, may I be so immersed, if you will, baptized by your word. That it sustains me. It refreshes me. It causes me to grow. It causes me to be wise and mature because I have tasted his word. And I suspect many, if not most, or all of you have tasted his word. All too often, we need to go on a diet of real food because we consume too much of it. I can guarantee you this. If you overeat the word of God, You won't get fat. You'll be more like him. You'll be more like you were intended. You're more beautiful. You're more kind. You're more merciful. You're more forgiving. You're more wanted to be around. You want more people who want to be with you. Except for those who want to pursue evil. And then they'll attempt to do away with you. But then again, that just makes you more like Jesus. So God spoke. He revealed himself to us. Because he wants us to have a relationship with him. And he wants us to know who he is. He's not a God afar off. He's a God very near. And he's a God who wants to have a relationship with you. And he's a God who wants you to trust him. He's a God who wants you to hear what he has to say. Where did God speak? And all of God's people said.